0: Title of the message is mind games, and um, several weeks ago I was um, I was traveling. I was flying to well, actually I was flying from from Lanceria to uh, to Durban. And uh, usually when I fly alone, um, I try and book you know a seat that's either on the window or uh, on, at the aisle because uh, you have a little bit more uh, uh, room to kind of you know move and be away from the person that's sitting in the middle seat. I don't know if any of you have uh, flown. Uh, it's very uncomfortable sitting in the middle seat um, because you're like sitting there between two people. You can't really move. Um, so uh, I prefer you know, either the, the window because I can lean against the window and or the aisle so I can lean into the aisle and uh, not try and be too close. Unless I'm traveling with people that I know, then it's fine. <laughs> but with a complete stranger, it's different. Um, so I was, I was flying uh, from Lensiria to, uh, to Durban, and uh, fortunately I had a window seat, but there was this guy sitting in the middle, and then he takes out his phone. I think a lot of us probably do that. If, you've, uh, if you are a frequent flyer, you take out your phone and you start playing games. Um, so he takes out his phone and he, and he starts to play this game. I don't know if any of you have uh, come across this game before. You probably have played it. Um, it gives you a scrambled uh, alphabets, and then you have to try and figure out what words to fit in the, in the slots they give you. Um, so he was playing this game, and, uh, um, you know, when you're sitting there, and uh, this one-hour one hour flight, um, I didn't have my phone on with me, so, uh, uh, so it was very hard not to keep looking at you know, looking at the person that is sitting in the middle there, you know, and uh, not to try and be very intrusive, you know, you kind of give the shifty eye without turning your head. Uh, so that's what I was doing, like kind of looking without turning my head to see how far this guy was going in this game. And he, he, he got about five words, and there was just one word left that he had to get. And I'm looking at this screen, and I know the word. <laughs> You ever been in that situation where you know something and, 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 and it's hard, you're trying to keep it back from giving the answer because you know, you don't want to offend the person or the person turns to you and say, you know, uh, it's none of your business and those kind of things. So, uh, so I know the word and he's going all combinations. Some of those combinations were weird, I don't know. Uh, and the word was Iced, I-C-E-D, Iced. And I can see it in my mind, I'm playing this game and, 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 and I was tempted to tell him the word is iced. And, uh, you know, it was very frustrating. Eventually, after about three or four minutes of all the combinations that he was trying, he eventually got the word. Um, but he got the word because he asked for a clue. So, uh, <laughs> you know, he cheated. He, he asked for a clue, and then obviously from there he, he managed to get the word. But uh, it, could be a, it can be a very um, tense time when you, you know, you're playing this game in your mind, but you can't physically play the game and you know the answer and, and someone else doesn't know the answer and you want to give the answer. It can be in a very, very uh, tricky situation. Um, you know, so we have all these this things that are going in our minds that we play games we, and, and we, we imagine things, et cetera. But, you know, the enemy also plays games with us. Uh, the mind is a powerful thing. Our brain actually is a very powerful, uh, powerful thing. Uh, So let me just get my notes together. Uh, For some of you who have been here previously, and I did tell you that uh, technologically I prefer the old school, so I did, so you don't ask me the question. I do have my notes with me here, uh, just in case this fails me. So, uh, um, you know, the brain is... Is is a very uh, powerful and fascinating organ. Uh, God has created us with this this, this wonderful organ that, um, you know, I, I'm not going to go into the scientific detail of how the brain works, uh, and how it functions. But we know that uh, we create memories, and memories are stored in our brain. Uh, through the functioning of the neurons and the synapses, and there's different parts of the brain, the hippocampus, and all those little parts of the brain that contribute um, to the memories that we have and the memories that we uh, create. And uh, these memories can either be a short-term memory or a long-term memory. Um, Some of us, you know, we... We, we hear certain things, we see certain things, we experience certain things, and tomorrow we forget them. Uh, I'm, I'm sure lots of the, the students that are studying right now in school probably can uh, identify with that. You probably study hard, and the next morning you go to write the test and it's complete blank. You've forgotten it, short-term memory. Uh, and then there's long-term memories that stick in your mind, stick in your brain, and um, you, know, you, 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 you remember them from time to time. Um, uh, me personally uh, I must admit uh, my life prior to six years of age I probably have like about two very faint blurry memories of my life Um, so I I can't remember anything up until six years of age maybe that's just me Uh, maybe there are some of you here that can remember as far back as then uh, the the things that have happened in your life Um, but you know that's our brain. That's, that's how our brain functions. We use uh, the senses, the, the sense of sight and, and smell and sound and taste and touch and the experiences that we have with those senses to register that information in our brain. Uh, more importantly, what we take in, what we experience, um, gets stored or forms memories and gets stored in our brains. And... Uh, one of the, or two of the areas that we, we, we see uh, memories being formed is through the use of our eyes and our ears. Uh, what we see and what we hear gets registered in our memories and gets stored there. Um, so not only are our memories short-term and long-term, uh, they are triggered also by the experiences that we have. Our memories can be pleasant or they can be painful. There are memories that we want to hold on to dearly because they remind us of some good experiences, some good moments, some precious moments that we want to cherish. So we hold on to them dearly and there are memories that we wish we could forget, right? I'm sure we all are there. uh, We've got memories that we wish we never had, but we have them. Um, They draw from our past experiences and influences our current thoughts and behavior, and also helps us make predictions of the future. We recall these memories through triggers. Now, a trigger can be either a word, uh, a smell that you may have, or something that you may taste, uh, a place that you may visit, or an experience that you may have, or a person that you may see may trigger an experience. Now, that experience, as I said, can be pleasant, you know, if you have a, a smell of, of, of maybe food that reminds you of home or mom, reminds you of mom's cooking, uh, reminds you of family time and, and those enjoyable moments, and then you may see someone that you don't like and uh, some experiences that you've had in the past with them, and when you see them, it triggers the, those experiences and brings those memories back to you and all the feelings that go with those, uh, with those memories. Um, not only do we have memories, but we also have what, uh, what we call imagination. Um, you know, you, have you ever heard people say to you, or probably you've said this to other people, or parents that are here, you probably said that to your kids, stop imagining things. Uh, you know, or you're just imagining things, or don't let your imagination run wild. Uh, so we have imagination. Um, our imagination can be both creative and destructive. Sometimes our imagination can be a distortion of reality. So imagination is the process where our brain forms a mental picture or an image of something before it can be perceived in reality. In other words, our imagination sees things that is not necessarily something that is immediately present or it may never be present or possible. Sometimes we think of things we know it's not going to be possible. Um, but our imagination helps us to be creative. All we have to do is look around us, look at the technological advances that we see around us in flight, uh, in the living spaces that we have, in the computers that we deal with, with the society that we're living in. We see that imagination has led to these advances in society because God has given us this wonderful gift called imagination and the ability to use our imagination to create, or also we can use our imagination to be destructive. Our imagination to create doesn't make, make, mean that it makes us God, but it allows us to use the gift that God has given us to do something good. And whilst we use our imagination to be creative, we can also use our imagination to be destructive, both to ourselves, and to people that are around us. This can lead our imagination. Destructive imagination can lead to destructive thoughts and behavior. And what happens when we do this is it breaks down the relationship between us and God and between us and one another. The Apostle Paul speaks about unhealthy and ungodly imagination that attacks the very nature of God. In, uh, In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Uh, Reading from verses 5, he says, For we walk, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy, in in the ESV version it says, arguments and every lofty opinion. In the King James version it says, we destroy or we cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and we bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So when we have an unhealthy imagination, we are walking or we are walking in our sinful nature, whereas a healthy imagination allows us to walk in accordance to the Spirit of God, because it's the Spirit of God that knows the mind of God. So we use this term, the mind, because it's a part of our being where, you know, our memories are stored, the functioning of our brain, and uh, the mind forms philosophies of life, our behavior, and our perceptions. It shapes the way we live, it encompasses both the logical, the emotive, and and the physical influences that are in our lives. Have you ever come across people that say you need to think positive? (laughs) Don't allow negative thoughts to enter your mind and so forth, because the mind is a powerful thing. We're using this word interchangeably, right? And because of that, we must be aware of what filters into our mind, because we have an enemy that knows how to mess with our minds. The Apostle Paul writes to the Roman uh, Roman church in Romans chapter 12, verses one and two. And the scripture says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, I wish I could tell you that the Apostle Paul was talking about a brain transplant, but he wasn't talking about a brain transplant. Um, Basically, when he's talking about renewing of the mind, he's talking about the way we perceive things the way we look at things, our attitudes and our approaches to life. When we look at this book, the book of Romans, uh, from chapter 1 all the way through to chapter 11, we see the Apostle Paul going through this theological discourse of what salvation is all about. He talks about the unrighteousness of man. He talks about the righteousness of God. He talks about the wrath of God. It talks about faith, it talks about sin, it talks about uh, this opportunity that God has given us through the work of Christ to come into fellowship and relationship with Him. He talks to the Jewish believers and tells them, well, because the Jews have rejected Christ, it has opened the doors for the Gentiles to come in and experience the saving grace of Christ, And he goes on to say, well, Gentiles don't become too proud uh, of, the, of the opportunity that you have to come into the kingdom of God, but know that God's love is still there and it's still open to the Jews as well. And then from the theological discourse from chapter 1 through to chapter 11, he goes into chapter 12 and he transitions it to more of a practical outworking of that salvation. He speaks of the love of God and how we can practically see the love of God working in our lives. For all of us who call ourselves followers of Christ, disciples, Christians, there was a moment in our lives where we made that decision to follow God, to turn our life around. We we were walking down this road leading to destruction, leading to death because of the sin that was in our lives. But there was a moment where we experienced God, where God came into our lives, where we had an illumination in our hearts and in our minds of, uh, of God, who God was. And when we saw who God was, and, and the nature of God, and, and, and the holiness of God, we, see, we saw ourselves for who we were, sinners in need of a savior. And there may have been a time in our lives where we made a decision to follow Christ, we were walking down this road, we were walking a sinful life, we may have done many things in our lives, we have uh, experienced many things, we have hurt many people, we were living a life of sin, but God came and invaded our lives. And at that moment we made a decision, we decided to surrender our life to God, we decided to commit our lives to God, we decided to leave our sin at the cross and make a turn, that is what repentance means, you surrender, your life to Christ, and you make a turn and a decision to follow God and walk down the road that leads to eternal life. Walk down a road that leads to the fullness of the life that God wants for us. So at one point, we were walking down a path that leads to destruction, but when we gave our life to Christ, we decided to walk towards the path that leads to life and the fullness of life that God has for us. But you know, I wish it was possible for us to uh, uh, to have memories that can be erased. Last week, we, we heard about the broken record. Um, Pastor Randy spoke about the broken record and and for those of you who are here, we, we know you know when the, when the record gets stuck. Or when it's broken, it gets stuck in that one place. It will, the needle will move, and then it'll jump back, skip back, and go to the, to the place where it started, and it'll just play that loop, right, continuously. After the, the, the record came, the cassette tape. Uh, for the younger people that are here, you probably don't know what we are talking about. Uh, but we had the cassette tape. Remember those days when you had the radio and the cassette, and you put the cassette in? In those days, if you wanted to record something, you had to rewind and try and figure out where you stopped and and where you need to be and and how to get there, and you would tape over it. And and if you had a song that you like, you'd listen to the radio and wait for that that song to come on, and then you'd press record, and uh, and the tape will record. Now, the interesting thing about those cassette tapes is you can go back, right? If you didn't like something on the tape, you could go back and you could erase that by taping over it something that you would like. Now, wouldn't that be wonderful if we could do that with our memories? I mean, there are some unpleasant memories, things that we would like to forget, Things that we were, that we are ashamed that we would, would we have done or, or said, or things that we have experienced that we don't want to experience again. Uh, wouldn't it be wonderful to, to have a life, a, a mind that could be like a, that, that cassette tape, where we could just rewind and erase and, and play over, record something that is more pleasant? Unfortunately, that doesn't happen in life. Our life is not like a cassette tape where we can go and erase. The memories that we have, it stays with us. Unpleasant and pleasant. We cannot erase it. It's there in the recesses of our mind. So when we make this decision to follow God from a life of sin, from a place where we would like to forget, and we walk down this road towards life, towards what God has for us, we, we, we see that the enemy begins to play games with our minds. He starts to make these unpleasant memories surface, like a bubble from the bottom of the well just coming up to the surface. He, and, and he draws us back to this place. He keeps drawing us back to this place, this place where we, we probably were ashamed of where we were, of the things that we've done, of the relationships that we've heard. Of, of the behaviors that we've been involved in. And he keeps bringing us back to this place because as we heard last week, it's a place of shame and it's a place of guilt. Our choices may not have been good. I wish we could turn back time, but we can't turn back time and change those, those things that we've done But we know when God, when we encounter God, God forgives. That moment that we come to God and we receive forgiveness of sin, God justifies us. In other words, what it means is that the the justice for sin that we would have received, God meted it out to his son Jesus. That as I respond in faith to him, he no longer holds that sin against us. The scripture says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed the sin, so far has he taken the guilt, so far has he taken the shame away from us, not because of what we have done, but because of what Christ has done for us. That is the justification that we have. Then also, we, 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 we know the word sanctification. Sanctification is where God has now taken us from the place we are, and he has separated us from a life of sin, he has separated us from a life of shame, he has separated us from a life of guilt, and now we become children of God. But then there's triggers. Remember I spoke about triggers. There are triggers that the enemy used to take us back to a place of guilt and shame. We heard that the work of the enemy is to keep us stuck in patterns of shame that separates us from God, from others, and from our true self. See, the reason for keeping us at the place of shame and guilt is that the offender wants control over the offended. The enemy is our offender. He is the accuser of the brethren. That's what the Scripture says. And he wants to keep control over our lives. As long as the enemy has control over us by bringing us back to the place of guilt and shame, we will not be able to comprehend our value or worth that we have in the eyes of our Heavenly Father. Whilst it is true that sin separates us from God, God's love is greater. And he has provided a way of salvation for us that destroys any hold that sin, that shame, and that guilt may have over ourselves. 2 Corinthians 5:17. when we read the scriptures, verses 17 to 21, it says that God has reconciled us to himself through Christ. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All the old things have passed Everything has become new. So when we make a decision to follow God, all the things are in the, that are in the past is in the past. God has forgiven and he remembers them no more. It is the enemy that wants to take us back. It's the enemy that brings up these memories of guilt and shame and takes us back because he does not want us to enjoy the fullness of the new As long as he can keep us in the old, in the old way of thinking, in our shame and guilt, we will not fully realize the fullness of the new. See, in the battle that we fight, we have to know the enemy that we are fighting. We have to know that our mind is a battlefield. So knowing how to distinguish distinguish what is of God and what is of the enemy is crucial in us not becoming a victim. We need to understand that the devil is not, not creative. The devil is not creative. He does not come with anything new. He just repackages the old. And if we understand that, then we can have victory in our life. He just takes the old, he repackages it, he it make, it makes it look different, but it's the same old method that he uses. If he can get us to Doubt our identity, then he can keep us from stepping into our purpose. See, God's creativity comes with a purpose of knowing our identity, flourishing in that identity that he has given us, and enjoying this father child relationship, whereas the enemy wants to destroy that in our lives. Why? Because our identity gives us a sense of belonging and a sense of purpose. As followers of Jesus, our identity is rooted in what God has done for us and his intentional design for us. It's no, long, it's no wonder that the enemy wants to bring confusion and doubt as to our spiritual reality. He did that to Adam and Eve at the very beginning and He is doing that to us today. He tempted Adam and Eve into believing their real identity was being held back by God. He, he tempted them by camouflaging the truth, by manipulating the truth, manipulating them into believing that their real identity was actually to be like God. That sounds familiar. <laughs> it's a little bit familiar, as I said, that the, the enemy, we need to know our enemy, he doesn't come with anything new because that's what he did. If you think about it carefully and read the scriptures, we see that the enemy did the same thing. He did not accept the identity that he had, that God created him to be. He could not accept it, and therefore he sought to be someone that he was not. Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 to 15 says, how have you fallen from heaven? Morning star, son of the dawn, You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High." but you you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. See, that's what the enemy did. He wanted to be like God. He didn't want to accept the identity that God had given him, and he wanted to be something that he was not created to be. So an attack on our identity is an attack on the image of God, If the enemy cannot get to God, he will get to the person that God loves. That's you and I. And he he will rob us of our identity. He will cause us to question our identity. We do not base our identity on what the world dictates or the world's system or the world's mindset. We do not conform to the patterns of the world as Paul explained in Romans chapter 12. We do not identify with what the world identifies, but we identify with what God has said about us and who he has created us to be. You see this attack on our identity is not only to us, Jesus was not immune to this attack as well. We see in the life of Jesus as he was preparing himself to enter into ministry, we read the scriptures in the gospel, it says that Jesus went to be baptized, not that he had to repent from any sin, but he had to identify with mankind he went and he was baptized, and the Bible says that as he came out of the waters of baptism, heavens opened, the Spirit of God came and rested upon him, and a voice from heaven says, you are my son in whom I am well pleased. And the next thing, the Spirit leads him to the wilderness, and during that time of, uh, uh, in, his, in the wilderness experience, he was tempted. At his weakest moment physically, the enemy steps in, and starts to tempt Jesus. And on two occasions, we see that he started this temptation with the phrase, if you are the son of God. What he was doing, he was questioning the legitimacy of Christ's identity. Even though God had already said it, even though his father had already confirmed it, you are my son in whom I am well pleased. See, we have to understand that the enemy likes to manipulate, likes to taunt, likes to mess with our minds. And he comes to Jesus and he says, if you are the son of God, because he wanted him to be able to to ignore what the father had said and to question whether he was the son of God or not. Our identity is proof that we have a place of belonging. And with that comes all the benefits of being in that place belonging when our identity is taken we find ourselves at a place of uncertainty worry confusion and torment now years back this is a very it may it may sound funny now but it wasn't funny then years back on my very very first i was quite young so it was many years ago. <laughs> um, must have been in my uh, early 20s. And um, it was my first time to travel overseas, right? Um, I had saved up uh, some money, and then uh, it was my first time to travel overseas. At that time, you know, traveling overseas was a big thing, uh, you know, and, and saved, I had saved. it was working, and I saved money, and... Um, so I bought this ticket to go to uh, visit uh, another friend of mine, a uh, missionary friend of mine that was living in, in the U.S. And um, so I bought this ticket, um, and um, it was on Olympic Airlines. For those of you who don't know, Olympic Airlines don't exist anymore. Uh, <laughs> but it was the Greek Airlines, right? So, um, so I flew to, uh, from, ja- from Durban to Johannesburg, and from Johannesburg to... I'm, I'm giving a lot of uh, flight stories today to Athens, and uh, mind you, at that time, the airports weren't as, as lovely as it is now. Uh, it was just this one big building. It's like a terminal, you know, silo kind of a building, um, and everybody was in there, smokers, non-smokers, everyone. It was just one big, terrible place to be. Uh, so I, I get, I get to, the, to Athens, and then you have to wait for, you know, um, uh, to, to, it, to get a connecting flight, uh, it was about three hours, and I, I waited, and then I get to the, the counter to check in uh, on the leg from uh, Athens to New York, and um, so when I get up to the counter, I, I take my passport. That was the first passport I, have, I ever, ever got, uh, my first time traveling, and um, I, was, I was happy to have that passport because it gave me an identity. Right? because on the front it says Republic of South Africa, and it gives you an identity of where you belong. And I go up to the counter, and uh, they check, and uh, they take my passport, and they say, well, we're keeping your passport. Uh, this is my first time flying. I'm young, uh, never flown before. Uh, I don't know the systems uh, um, as well as I do, at least now. Um, and... Uh, so when they take my passport, I, I'm confused. Now, you know, they say, if you look like your passport photograph, you are too sick to fly. I thought maybe, you know, maybe my passport photograph doesn't, you know, reflect my actual face. Um, and, uh, or maybe they thought, you know, I don't know whether I was a terrorist or what. But uh, I, I, for, 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 I, I couldn't understand why they would take my passport. And I said, no, you can't take my passport. That's my identity because it will allow me to move from here and to get into the States. If I get on the other side and I don't have my passport, for those of you who have flown overseas, if you don't have your passport, they are not going to allow you into the country. They are going to put you in a holding place and get you on the next flight out of there. Okay. So here I was on this flight from Athens, to New York. It's about an 11 hour flight. 11 hours of stress. 11 hours of confusion. And you, you can imagine what was going on in my mind. Like, you know, where's my passport? Who's got my passport? Because I didn't have a clue as to who had my passport. Because it was my identity. Basically for 11 hours, I had no identification. I did not have a belonging. I did not, I mean, I knew, knew who I was, but everybody else didn't know who I was because I could not prove my identity. And for 11 hours, and I kept asking the flight attendant, you know, where's my passport? During that 11 hours, I think multiple times, you know, who's got my passport? They say, don't worry. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's worry. Especially after you spend so much money saving up to buy a ticket to go overseas and then you don't have um, and identification. So that 11 hours was a, was a time of uncertainty for me because I didn't know whether I was going to reach my destination, uh, whether I was going to get into the country. Uh, it, was, it was worrying, you know. Normally when you get onto a plane, you don't want to worry about anything. You don't want to sit, sit back, relax, enjoy the flight, enjoy the experience. Uh, it was a bad experience for me. See, these memories are coming up now. Okay. It was confusing because I could not have, I did not have any form of identification. See, that's what the enemy does with us as well. He messes with our identity. He causes us to question our identity. Don't let the enemy mess with our minds when it comes to who we are. It is important for us to understand and believe what God says about us. Romans chapter 8 verse 14 to 17 Paul writes For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again Rather the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to a sonship Wow that is just powerful Remember I spoke about that transition when you turn away from walking down a path that leads to death and destruction because of sin. When God intervenes and steps in our lives and he turns us around and we walk into this destiny of life, the fullness of life and eternal life and a relationship with Jesus, not only do we experience justification and sanctification and the righteousness of God that is put upon us because we are unrighteous, God's righteousness is placed on us, but the scripture also says that now we are adopted, we become part of the family of God. We are sons and daughters of the King Most High. And he says, by him we cry, Abba, Father. It is an intimate term. In the Aramaic, it's a, it, it's a feeling of intimacy, closeness, one that is related to each other. And the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are his <laughs> Not only are we adopted into the family of God, but we become his, our identity. We, we have everything that goes with that identity of being a child of God. We are his, his of God and co-hairs with Christ. In other words, whatever God has given to Christ, he has made it available to us. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order, in order that we may also share in his glory. Scriptures are clear. Our identity is settled. We are the children of God. No matter what the enemy may try to tell us, no matter how many memories he may try to bring us, to make us doubt, to make us question our identity, it is settled. See, we may be able to move from that place of shame we may be able to move from the place of guilt. We may be able to even have an understanding of who we are, our identity. But remember that we are not immune to temptation. It will come, and the enemy will come to tempt us. We must remember that our mind is a battlefield. And many times we may find ourselves at a place where we question God. We question who God is, whether He's really there, whether He said what He said is true, whether His promises are true. See, that's another tactic of the enemy to mess with our minds. To create an environment of mistrust. To have mistrust is to be at a place where we look at what God said with skepticism, with doubt. And question the trustworthiness and the authenticity of who he is and what he said. You see, mistrust is created by a distortion of truth. When you believe a lie for too long, it eventually becomes truth to you, even though it is still a lie. Let me say that again mistrust is created by a distortion of truth. When you believe a lie for too long, it eventually becomes truth to you, even though it is still a lie. You know, someone can tell you just half truth. Half truth is a lie, okay? There may be elements of truth in what the enemy is saying, but he camouflages it, he manipulates, and it is a lie. But The more we listen to it, the more we give room for it in our minds, the more we allow for that to marinate in our minds, then eventually, even though it is still alive, we tend to believe it is true. Have you ever been in that place where someone has said something, okay? Someone has said something, and then someone else is saying the same thing, and and, and it goes on and on. Eventually, you start to believe it, even though it may not be true. The aim of the enemy is to cause us to rebel against God through disobedience. Back again to Adam and Eve. He started it then. He's continuing it now in our present day. To mistrust, he created mistrust and then it led to distrust. You see, Adam and Eve's disobedience didn't just happen spontaneously. They didn't just choose one day to wake up and disobey God. But the enemy sowed seeds of doubt and mistrust that eventually led them down that road. See, mistrust gives birth to distrust, which gives birth to disobedience and eventually leads to broken relationships. That's a powerful statement. Mistrust gives birth to distrust which gives birth to disobedience and eventually leads to broken relationships. See, distrust is where you have already settled in your mind and in your heart that someone cannot be trusted. That's distrust. Mistrust, you still have skepticism. You still have doubt. You start to question. You haven't been there yet. But as as long as you keep Giving into mistrust is eventually going to become distrust where you're completely not going to trust. You've settled in your heart, you've settled in your mind. No matter what anyone says, I have made up my mind that I cannot trust this person or I cannot trust this experience, etc. See, where trust is broken, unless we deal with it, it is going to be a place in our minds, in our memories where the enemy is constantly going to be taking us back to. All the enemy had to do with Adam and Eve was say, you know, did God really say that? You know, did God really say that? And that's a question that he asks us, did that person really say that? (laughs) Did that experience really prove who God is? Did that conversation really be What do you think it is? Creating mistrust. Why? His eventual goal is to lead you to broken relationship. Break your relationship with God and break your relationship with one another. And if we are not careful, we will fall into that trap. And therefore we have in our society so many broken relationships because of mistrust that led to distrust. Broken relationships, broken marriages, hurting people. So unless where trust is broken, unless we deal with it in a way that pleases God, it is going to take us back to that place where the enemy has control over our lives. And if we don't deal with it, it's going to allow feelings of bitterness and anger and abandonment and unforgiveness to fester, which is completely opposite to how God would want us to respond. And then what, we, what happens is we find ourselves in this constant cycle of hurt and defeat because of mistrust and distrust. See, the human condition has been like that from the very beginning, a matter of dissatisfaction. We are dissatisfied because we don't get our way. We are dissatisfied with who we are. We are dissatisfied with where we are. We are dissatisfied with what God has said about us. We are dissatisfied with things that happen to us. That's the human condition, dissatisfaction. But you know, God does not change. He is still the same. His word never changes. His promises never changes. His love never changes. Times may change, Experiences that we may have may change, but God is still true. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 5 and 6 says, every word of God proves true. Every word of God proves true. It's true. You can bank on it. You can trust it. Scripture says that he is not a man, that he should lie. So man lies. Man lies. So if you're placing your trust on man, you are in for a shock. If you're placing your trust in what man has said, because the enemy uses us, then we're in for trouble. But God's word, every word is true. He is not a man that he should lie. On the contrary, Jesus says that the devil is a liar. When he spoke to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, he says you are giving in to your father, the devil, who has been lying from the very beginning. Because when he lies, when there's lies in the... In the room, there's mistrust. When there's lies in the room, there's distrust. And if we don't deal with that, it's going to lead to a broken relationship. So every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. Do not add to His words. Do not, do not make God say that things that He didn't say. Do not use the name of the Lord in vain. God told me to tell you this. Better be careful when we use that. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. We can trust God's word. Don't trust the lies and the manipulation and the deception of the enemy that wants to mess with our lives, that wants to bring us to a place of shame and guilt that wants to question our identity, who we are, that wants to create an environment of mistrust and broken relationships. Rather, as Philippians chapter two says, let this mind that was in Christ be in you. Let the mind of Christ be in you. In other words, the same way that Christ perceived who he was and what he needed to be, the same way that Christ perceived his relationship with his father, the same attitude that he approached the will of his father of surrender and submission and humility. The scripture is encouraging us to have that same mind. Yes, we cannot erase the memories of the past, but the memories of the past should not be there to keep us as slaves because God has said something different about us. God has changed us and our identity He's found in Him and Him alone.